0: Good morning, everyone. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 8 through 20 of Galatians, chapter 4, which is on page 974 in your pew Bibles. Now, in these verses, Paul is expressing a bit of frustration, a bit of perplexity over the behavior of the Galatians. If you're there, you can look at verse 20 of chapter 4. We read this. It says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. It's like Paul is communicating over email or text message, right? And it seems like the tone of what's going on is all confused. And Paul says, I wish I could just come and talk to you in person because there seems to be some disconnect between what's happening in your life and what I'm trying to communicate to you. I don't understand these messages that I'm getting. And I hope dearly that you understand this that I am writing to you. For Paul is genuinely concerned and confused about what's happening in the Galatian churches. How is it that those who have received the Gospel are reverting to legalism? How is it that those who have come to know the truth of salvation by grace through faith alone are now seeking acceptance with God through the law? Here Paul makes a surprising connection that we might not see coming. He argues that to follow the law as a means of salvation is equivalent to reverting to the Galatians' old form of paganism. To begin following the law through the observance of a religious calendar and submitting to circumcision is to revert to what is weak and what is worthless. Take a moment to get what is being said here. Bible-flavored legalism is no better than rank paganism. For they are both in submission to what Paul has been referring to as the elementary principles of the world. They are both slavery. The name of this sermon series through Galatians is no other gospel. And Paul has been defending the one true gospel against the onslaught of false teachings. False teachers have come into the midst of the church and they have offered a competing means by which one is made right with God. They have offered a competing system of life. Obey the law and you will bring your life into order and you will find everlasting life, they argue. Follow this calendar. Practice these rituals. Obey these rules and you will find life. But there is no other gospel There is no other source of life than faith in Jesus Christ. When the people of Israel were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they were initially overjoyed by their salvation. They rejoiced on the banks of the Red Sea as they saw their taskmasters overthrown. However, it did not take long for them to begin to pine for the days of their slavery. It did not take long for them to groan and complain that they should have never left. It seems perplexing. Why would one want to go back to slavery when you have freedom? However, the issue of reverting to something other than the gospel is still with us. While most of us are not tempted by the Old Testament dietary laws or religious calendar we still get caught up in various schemes that entice us to go back to something less than the Gospel. You need to ask yourself, what is it that I believe is the answer to the problems of our time? When I am faced with hardship and struggle and frustration in this world, what do I look to? What is my hope in? Do you believe that you will have relief from your stress and your suffering in your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ, or do you look to something else? The pressure of this past year has revealed much about what is actually in our hearts. Like the fire that brings purification, so has the pain of this year drawn out the impurities of our own lives. It's shown how much we identify with a political movement more than with the gospel. It's revealed how much we find security in culture and tradition more than in Christ in Him crucified. For we have spent more time arguing for the benefits or the dangers of a vaccine more than discussing the healing power of the blood of Christ. We have given more emotional energy to our particular approach to racial tension than we have to the power of union in Jesus Christ to destroy the dividing wall of hostility between us. People want answers to how we are going to save our culture, our nation, our freedoms. People want to know how to pursue life in a time when our life and our livelihoods feel threatened by forces that are beyond our control. And the message of Galatians and the message of God's Word is that it is nothing other than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the answer to these problems. Not your politicians or your protests. Not your social theory or social media posts. But the Gospel of Jesus Christ alone. We've come together as a body because we have covenanted, we have vowed together that we believe that Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. That there is no other way to life, there is no other way to the Father except through Him. That when the chips are down and the pressures of life seem too great, we believe that the answer is not to be found in anything or anyone else but Jesus Christ. I've been asked this year, why have you not taken more of a stand against our four particular regulations? Why have you not spoken out against election fraud or against false claims of elections? Why have you not spoken more about fill in the blank? It's not that I don't have personal opinions. I have opinions about these things. And it is not that I do not believe that these things are unimportant. I do believe that they're important. Nevertheless, I believe and I hope that you believe as well that the answer to the most challenging and pressing questions of our day will only be found at the cross of Jesus Christ and not in the endless schemes of man, no matter how well devised they are. Why do people go back? How is it that those who have received the life of the gospel are willing to look to anything else as the answer to our problems? Paul is perplexed. And yet I believe Paul knows why. And I believe you know why as well. The reason why we go back is because going forward is so hard. It's easier to go back to the schemes of men. It's easier to return to the elementary principles. It is a continual temptation to find your life in the isms of our day. But if we would find true life in this day of conflict and unrest, the answer is not to go back to the law. It is not to go back to the schemes of men, but it's to go forward in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a temptation to pine for the days of slavery. But as Christians, we must go forward and pursue the freedom of gospel growth. So here now, the word of the Lord, Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. For I am perplexed about you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Almighty God, we declare that you are truly blessed, that you are the great God. For the testimonies of the prophets, we bless you. For the statutes of your law, we bless you. For the gospel of Christ Jesus and the witness of the apostles, we bless you. O glorious God, grant us the spirit of your glory and the brightness of your presence at this time, that we may now hear your word and understand. And we pray this through Jesus Christ, our gracious Lord. Amen. How is it that we are to go forward? That is, how are we to grow as Christians? When we have the temptation to return to the immaturity of legalism. The first thing that I want you to see is that every Christian is called to pursue a personal knowledge of God if they would pursue growth in the gospel, a personal knowledge of God. Look down at verses 8 through 11 in our text. Paul says there, formally, right, before. When you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now prior to coming to the knowledge of the good news the galatians did not know god and paul equates this knowledge or this lack of knowledge rather to slavery in john 17:3 jesus says this is eternal life that they might know you the one true god and jesus christ whom you have sent to not know god is enslavement but to know god is life and freedom Before the Galatians knew God, they served these not-gods. These things that weren't, aren't, and truly cannot give us life. These weak and worthless rudiments of religion, he calls them. They followed philosophies. They followed ideologies. They followed after weak and worthless rules. And to submit to the law, particularly the observance of the Jewish religious calendar, is to return to this worthless religion. No matter how you, you dress up your legalism and biblical language and images, it is still no better than paganism. No matter how Christian your political ideologies are, if they pursue life by any other means than the Gospel, then they are merely slavery. Gresham Maycham, Early 20th century Presbyterian pastor made this claim in his work, Christianity and Liberalism. His claim was that religious liberals who pursued good social works, but abandoned the fundamentals of the gospel were no longer truly Christian. That is to say, there is Christianity and then there is liberalism. They are not the same. One offers life through faith in Jesus Christ and the other offers slavery through good works. And we might make such distinctions in our lives as well. For within the modern evangelical church, there is a nationalism that has attached itself to our form of worship and of thinking. It mixes American culture and the values of American traditions with the Gospel such that the Constitution becomes as sacred as Scripture. The flag is honored as the cross and our rights become dearer to us than our calling to love one another. Now, I love our country I think America is and has been a force for good in this world and that should be honored. I would not live anywhere else in this world except for this country. However, salvation is not to be found in any country or any political ideology, but it is to be found in Christ alone. And as we mix these things, we don't have a different form of Christianity but we have Christianity and we have nationalism and they cannot be mixed. So how do we avoid going back to the slavery of legalism? Well, as our text says in verse 9, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how can you turn back? It's as if Paul is... Auto-correcting himself in the middle of his thought, right? He is saying, now that you have come to know God, oh, wait a second, there's more to this. Rather, you have been known by God. He says that we avoid going back and we pursue growth in Christ first by our knowledge of God that is rooted in God's knowledge of us. Coming into a personal relationship with God through Christ begins, Paul argues, with God knowing you. You must understand this to understand what Paul is saying here. This is what Paul means in Romans 8 when he says this. Those whom he foreknew, right? Those whom God knew beforehand, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. God's knowledge of a particular people leads them to be conformed to the image of his Son, Jesus Christ. The way that we grow in our, in, in the gospel, the way that we are conformed to the image of Christ is through God's foreknowledge and therefore His predestinating love that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. We understand that God knows all people, that there is nothing hidden from His sight. So what does it mean that God knows His people? How is this knowledge distinct? As it is used here, God's knowledge is personal and saving and not merely intellectual. God, before the foundation of the world, has chosen His people in Christ. He set His love upon them. Before you had done anything right or wrong, good or evil, God the Father set His predestinating love upon His people so that they would be conformed to the image of His Son. That is, He knows us so that we will mature in the gospel. We know God because He first has known us. To use the language of Paul in Philippians 3, we make maturity in Christ our own because Christ has made us His own. That is, we are saved by God's grace and not by works. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So how does this truth guard us from legalism and promote growth in the Gospel? Because it is God alone who gives the power to go forward in this Christian life. He has known us and through this knowledge of us, He has prepared us to go forward in Jesus Christ. The way that we go forward is by faith that God has prepared us For such a work. Now the opening chapters of Galatians. Provide us with some. Autobiographical knowledge of Paul. And his missionary work. And here in verses 12 through 15. We return to a bit of his story. And we get a little bit more insight. Into the situation surrounding Paul's. Ministry with the Galatian churches. How the gospel was initially. Proclaimed and received. You can look down there and. Follow what is going on, starting in verse 12. Paul says, Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the Gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Paul recounts that when he came to the Galatians, he had some sort of sickness, some sort of bodily ailment. Now, some speculate that he may have caught malaria along the coast and he sought to heal up in the mountain country of Galatia. Others think that he had some sort of eye disease, And that is the reason that the language here about gouging out their eyes is included. Either way, we're not exactly sure what was happening to Paul physically. But what we do know is that he came and that he lived among them. And that despite the fact that he was a burden because of his physical ailment, they accepted him and they brought him in. We also see here that he was willing to become like them. That is, he gave up his cultural and ethnic bias to reach them with the Gospel. And they responded to the Gospel. They received Him and they listened to Him as though He were an angel or even Jesus Christ Himself proclaiming this good news. And their love for this message was so deep that Paul says they would have even given their eyes for Paul. Now what do we learn from these verses? Well, again, we learn that Paul adapted to the habits and the culture of the Galatians to share the gospel. Like Hudson Taylor, so many centuries later, was willing to don the traditional Chinese dress that he might share the gospel with those who were in these unreached lands. Paul was willing to live like the Galatians so that they might receive the gospel. That is, the Gospel was more important than any of these outward behaviors and customs. We too must be willing to sacrifice even those things which are dear to us to see the Gospel go forward. That is, that we must embrace a love that shows itself in the way that we live. Second, we learn that the Galatians had an active love for the Gospel message because they were willing to sacrifice. Sacrifice. Even though Paul was sick and weak, the message that he proclaimed had power. The power to change hearts and to save souls. For Paul came proclaiming the message that Christ came to save sinners. That He died so that we might live. That He poured out His blood to wash away the stain of our sin. That He rose from the dead to give us life. And that He sent forth His Spirit to seal to us our eternal inheritance. This is the message that brings life. For Christianity is not some new set of rules to follow. It's a proclamation of a salvation one. The gospel is not a textbook to study. It is an announcement that we are called to believe. And if you desire to grow towards maturity and Christ likeness, then you cannot go back to the law. You can't revert to other answers. When things are hard, when stress comes into your life, you will want to stop going forward in the Gospel because it's hard to go forward in the Gospel. However, to progress, we must pursue an active love of the Gospel. That means that when we are tested by life's hardships, we actively seek to live out the implication of the Gospel in our lives. To use the metaphor of Israel again, When they entered into the hardship of the desert, they were not to then say, you know what, I need to go back to Egypt, back to my slavery because things are so hard. Rather, they were to go forward in faith that there was a land of Canaan to which they were called to go. One of the major implications of the Gospel that Paul points to in Galatians is unity. There are forces that are seeking to pull the members of God's church apart. Now, an easy but backward-facing answer to these divisions is to find the people who agree with you, form your coalition, and separate from the wider body of Christ. You can hear this approach echoed in 1 Corinthians where people were following Paul or Cephas or Apollos Are the people that were like, you know, we're really spiritual, we're not following any of them, we're following Jesus. Therefore, we're right. It's hard to maintain unity. But the gospel calls us to live together in love, bearing with one another. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to set aside your opinions on secondary issues to go forward with the Gospel? Are you willing to become all things for all people as Paul puts it later in 1 Corinthians? Or as he puts it here, that he would become as the Galatians are? Are you willing to actively pursue a love of the Gospel that supersedes all else in your life? Are you willing to love your brother in Christ like Christ loved you? For He was willing to lay down His life for your good. And the Galatians, they were willing to even gouge out their eyes because of the love of the Gospel message. And you need to ask yourself, When things are hard and going forward seems more difficult than going backwards, are you willing to take up your cross daily and follow Jesus Christ? Are you willing to lay down things that are important to you in your life so that you would follow after Christ, actively loving one another for the sake of the gospel? It's hard to lay down things that are important to us. That's why it's called dying to self. But the question is, is the Gospel the most important thing? Or are you willing to knock the Gospel down a few notches so that you would go backwards to legalism? Because that's easier. But if you would grow in the Gospel, you would be willing to have an active love that submits to Christ in His way. This is how you grow in Christ. Pursue an active love of the gospel. Pursue a life that is shaped by the cross. Paul is perplexed. How could those who have known God and who have displayed such an active love of the gospel revert to the law? Why? Well, again, because growth in the gospel is hard. It's easier to go backwards. And therefore, the final thing. We see in our text for this morning is that if we would grow in the gospel, every one of us, every Christian must pursue a zealous endurance towards Christ likeness. Look down at verses 16 through 19. There Paul says. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Right? It's hard to tell people the truth. They don't always like that. Now he says, he's talking about these false teachers. He says, they make much of you. That's translating the word, and maybe some of your your own Bible translations besides the ESV translate it this way. They are zealous for you. They are zealous for you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out. Right? They want to shut you out of the gospel that you may be zealous, that you may make much of them, right? They want, they want the the Galatians to be dependent upon these false teachers that bring the law. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I again am in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Again, Paul addresses the Galatians' change of posture towards him and the Gospel. And he asks if they who once loved him now view him as their enemy. He explains that these false teachers are ingratiating themselves to the Galatians. They are a false friend poisoning them against the truth of God's way. However, Paul has worked towards their good and their growth in the Gospel. And again, here we see the final thing I want to point you to. In in gospel growth, it takes zealous endurance to grow in Christ's likeness. The reason that people will revert to legalism and tribalism is because it's easier than pursuing growth in Christ. Paul describes himself here as a mother who is in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, until until you mature in Christ. Childbirth is no joke. I've been around enough of them to know that it's not something that I would like to go through myself. However, the pain of childbirth is not without a purpose. We lament those who go through the anguish of other accidents and diseases. We're traumatized by someone who would attack us or who would threaten us. However, we're not traumatized by the anguish of childbirth. Just as pain, even though it's just as painful or even more so than other things, right? How many of you have seen a mother with her daughter who's going through labor pains giving her a little pat on the back saying, it's going to be okay, right? Because she knows that there is a purpose. Why is it that the trauma of childbirth is not lasting? Jesus puts it this way in John 16. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you to grow in Christ's likeness, to be conformed to His image. We have to be willing to endure through the hardships of this world with hope and the hope of a joy that is to come when life becomes hard, when there are points of division and fracture within the body of Christ, when your union with your brother in Christ costs you something, when your continued faith in God's goodness despite all the struggles of this world is difficult, when disease steals and sin hurts you, you need to remind yourself that this is just the pains of childbirth. These struggles are only for a season that there is an end and that it is filled with joy. So don't give in. Don't allow yourself to be enticed by gospel substitutes. Continue to hold on to the gospel as the only means of life and life everlasting. For vain Gospels are going to call you back to slavery. So pursue growth with zealous endurance, with the joy of that which is to come, set before your eyes, knowing that Christ has gone before us. He is preparing a place for us. And He would not tell us so if it were not true. We struggle with great endurance and hardship to be formed into the likeness of Christ because of the joy that is set before us. Yes, it's easier to go back, but it is life and life everlasting to go forward. Paul says that he is perplexed. Why have the Galatians been tempted to go backwards? It's easy to revert to old ways. But if we would endure, we must begin with the true knowledge of the Gospel that God has known us and that He loves us. If we would endure, we must actively live out the implications of the Gospel in all of our life. And if we would endure and grow, we must keep our eyes facing forward, knowing that, yes, there is hardship and suffering, but it is forming in us the image of Christ Jesus, and it is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come confessing that each and every one of us are tempted to turn back. We are each tempted by enticements towards laws and systems and schemes and philosophies that Would give to us a utopia here on earth that would be the answer to all the problems. And we have fancied ourselves this year, if we were in charge, oh, how much better this world would be. And yet we realize that these are just earthly schemes rooted in the knowledge of man that is foolishness to you. Oh, would you give to us the grace yet again? With much zeal and endurance to continually go forward in the Gospel of Jesus Christ being formed in His image no matter how hard and how painful the crucible which we must go through form in us the image of Christ we do pray. For we know of the great joy that is to come. And we consider suffering with Christ greater wealth than all that this world has to offer. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.